The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. you, Gilbert, a.k.a. Meg, a.k.a. Man of Many Talents. Thank you very, very much for that. Uh, Meg is sick this morning, so thank you for uh, uh, jamming out with us to worship, if that's the right phrase, just worshiping with us as Meg is sick, and several other folks of our congregation are sick this morning. Well, I invite your attention this morning to Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 29 through 34. Uh, if you're with us for the first time in a while, we have been studying through the Gospel of Mark now for basically the last five weeks since the start of the year. And our goal this year is to make it through at least chapter 4 or 5 as we uh, prepare our hearts looking towards Easter and what Christ did for us. Our theme this year is growing together. And uh, just a couple notes. Uh, Matt Andrews, where are you, brother? Uh, Set in front and center. Uh, Matt Andrews started a new job last night as a corrections officer at a place. I can't tell you where he's a corrections officer for safety and all that good stuff, but I can tell you he was up all night. So if he starts nodding off in the red shirt up here, you feel free to get up and douse him, hit him in the back of the head, uh, pray for him and all those things. But Matt, uh, you're doing good, brother. Four cups of coffee and a supportive wife later, you are doing very, very well. So we appreciate that. And I also just want to say, too, uh, tonight at 7.30 or ish, uh, we are going to be doing another Facebook Live with uh, questions for the pastors or pastor, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Many of you don't have Facebook. Many of you do. We're doing it during halftime because no one really cares about the halftime artists this year. We're going gaga over the Bible, not gaga over music. So uh, I'll let you figure out who that is. so we'll be on there about the time that it goes with it. I think we got all the tech ne- technical stuff figured out. Gilbert, thank you for being our man behind the scenes, helping with all that stuff. We appreciate that very, very much. Well, it is that time of year, and uh, we have hit a stretch in our family recently where sleep is very important. And we've had a good stretch where everyone was sleeping through the night pretty much, and now we're back to, woo, we have three kids under four. Amen. God is good. And it made me think of this illustration because it's so true. And I especially thinking of my wife because uh, we do some of these things, or at least, well, maybe most of these things. But you know you're a mother when. Are you ready for that? Uh, guys, this may not apply to you, but I think it'll equally apply to those who have kids or who know have kids. You know motherhood is truly set in when you offer to cut, cut up other people's food uh, when they're not your kids or your own food. When you hide in the bathroom alone, you know motherhood has truly set in. Or you hope ketchup is a vegetable because it's the only one your kids will eat. Amen. We know that to be very, very true. Or your child throws up and you try your best to catch it, and you know that as well. As well. Or someone else's kid throws up the party and you put your hands out and try and catch theirs as well. You read that the average five-year-old asks 592 questions, and you're happy because your child is above average. You use your own saliva to clean up your child's face and yours at the same time. Yes, you count the sprinkles on each kid's cupcake to make sure they are all equal, because you don't want them not to be equal, right? Fathers, this especially, I think about Scarlet with this, and it'll be here before I know it. You can't bear the thought of your daughter's first boyfriend coming, and you have the gun locked and loaded and ready and ready to go. And mothers too, by the way, I'm sure. 
Uh, you hire a sitter because you can't remember the last time you went out alone with your husband, but then you spend half of the night checking on the kids and you are figuring you're not going to get back to any time soon anyway, so it doesn't matter. You say at least once a day, I'm not cut out for this job, but mothers and especially parents, you know this, you wouldn't trade it for the world, would you? Would you? You know? Some of you who haven't slept in a while, you, you might trade a lot for that. Esau makes it look like child's play at that point. But, you know, we've asked ourselves that question. Is this worth it? I mean, come on. Getting up at all times of the night. I mean, uh, Friday night, uh, our heater, our, our furnace went out, and uh, uh, it was the filter. Darren forgot to change the filter after two months. Go figure. And we have a new, newer furnace, and it shut off because that's what good furnaces do, apparently. So our son didn't sleep. Our kids didn't sleep. All this stuff. We're, we're just wired. My wife is much less sleep-deprived than I am. But you ask yourself that question every now and then as a parent. Is this really worth it? And then even more selfishly, you ask, what have they done for me lately? I mean, really. I mean, we're changing diapers all day. We're making food. And all they do is scream and cry and make fun of us and all that fun stuff. Really, what have you done for me lately? And, uh, and they love us, all those good things. But if, parents, be honest. Have you ever had that thought before? Am I the only one that's honest to have that thought? Grandparents, especially, you can send them home, amen? God is still good. But, you know, those questions of what have you done for me lately don't just apply to sleep-deprived parents. They also apply to how we look at things in life. Uh, I mean, think about it. Have you, do you have relationships like that beyond parenting? Or if, you, if you're past that stage where you say, what have you done for me lately? Maybe I'm going to unfriend you on Facebook after all. Um, <laughs> or to a greater degree with your relationship with God. Okay, God, tell me. What have you done for me lately? I mean, really, God, what have you done for me lately or ever? I mean, amazingly, God, you don't answer the prayers the way I want them to be answered. You don't do the things I want you to do. You just do your God thing, and I do my whatever thing, and we just kind of meet in the middle and call it good. God, really, what have you ever done for me lately? Maybe you've never had those thoughts before. I have as a pastor. I'm sure if you're honest, all of us have had those thoughts in our minds before. And they make those thoughts about being a parent to God seem pretty small, don't they, in the scheme of things. But friends, amazingly, God has done amazing things for us, hasn't he? God has sent forth his son, Jesus Christ, that when we were not deserving at all, that he has answered our greatest questions in sending forth his son. God does serve us. He does minister to us, even sacrifices himself for us. And that is the whole point of why Christ came. Mark 10, verse 45 says this, and we'll get there, I think, in two years, because we're going to do Mark during the springtime of, uh, of, of the next co- years coming up as we work through Mark in the beginning part of the year. But it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. The giving of Christ's life for a ransom a- answers that great question that we often have. God, really, what have you done for me lately? You know, sometimes we can't find the answers to life questions that way, but God himself, as a payment for our sin, gave his life for us. And whether you are sleep-deprived or whether many of you, how many of y'all get more than 12 hours of sleep a night? I am just randomly curious. Only one hand goes up, and it's Nick Ufferman. Nick, I, I shouldn't be surprised, but that is a good thing. So, uh, Nick, and congratulations on your Eagle Scout yesterday, brother. Uh, that was well-deserved. But friends, ask yourself, what has God done for you lately? Has he done more than you can ask or think? Has he blown your mind this week of how he's answered your prayers? We're going to look at a passage today that for many of you will be an encouragement to keep praying. But we're going to look at this passage today. For many of you, it's going to rub you the wrong way, not because God isn't good, but because of the way it's answered and how it goes about. And that's what I want you to see. 
Because friends, do you believe that God is able to do all things at all times? That is the question we have to answer today. Because our heart and our soul, when life gets hard, will often ask God, what have you done for me lately? The big idea is a two-sentence big idea this week, but here's what I want you to see this morning. Is if the love of God for his people is weighed by our wealth, our comfort, and our health in this life, then God hated everyone who ever had to suffer for him. The gospel brings us true favor, not stuff, health, or success, but God himself. Friends, the prayer we ought to have is this, is God, I ask neither for health nor sickness or life nor death, but that you may use my health, my sick, my life, and my death for your glory. What a difference a prayer that is. God, what have you done for me lately? No, God, how can I use what you've afforded me and and put me in this place of life for your glory? Look at two things this morning. Very simple, very straightforward from the passage. Jesus, what has Jesus done for you? He's done two things. He has healed your diseases. Matt read that for us in Psalm 103. And secondly, he heals our demons. And I could put that in quotes, literally and figuratively, Jesus heals our demons. And friends, what we need to remember, as we saw last week, that Mark presents these episodes with a word immediately, 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 immediately. And it's a sense of urgency, and it's a sense of mission that Jesus is here to do something right away. But what if Jesus doesn't do what you're asking him to do? Whatever your great prayer is, whether that's for health, success, wealth, whatever, what if he doesn't answer right away? How do you handle that? How, as a Christian, are you to look at that? That's what we're going to do. What has Jesus done for you, for me, for our church? Much more than we could ever hope or imagine. And aren't you grateful for that? Let's stand together as we look at this passage this morning. If you're visiting with us, you forgot your Bible, we'll be in uh, page 834 of the Blue Pew Bible. And you're welcome to use that as we look at the passage today. Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. Reading out of the ESV, the same as the Pew Bible. And immediately he, that's Jesus, left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they held, uh, they told him about her. And Jesus came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Verse 33, or 32. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he, again, that's Jesus, would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. What has God done for you lately? We're going to look at two aspects today, but look at some of the hard questions that come with that big question. Will you pray with me, please, this morning? Father, we pray as we prepare our hearts a little further down the service for the Lord's Supper, as we reflect on what you have done for us, not only physically, but, Father, also eternally and spiritually. Father, we pray that you would give us great grace as we look at this. Father, we realize life is not a basket of roses. It's not a cakewalk. It's not a walk in the park, although in your grace we may have those types of days and those experiences. But, Father, we realize as we look at this passage that even in our congregation the last six to eight weeks there has been many life-altering, life uh, gut-riching things that have happened. Lord, some that have come through, some that have, uh, are dealing with many issues still related to. But Lord, I thank you that your word and your timing is always apropos because you are the God of perfect timing. Father, and your word is always true. We pray for wisdom as we study, which is the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. 
Well, the first thing I want you to look at this morning as we come to this, and just as, just as a, this is free advice, this is the freebie, so this is the extra $2 worth of advice from the pastor this morning. You know, I had someone email me this week from outside the church, and they said, Darren, you know, you guys have hit a lot of hard issues in the last couple of years. You've hit some major cultural issues. You've hit the Ten Commandments, some major things. He said, how is your congregation responding to just the week-by-week preaching of the word that is not necessarily glamorous, I, I, if that's the right word, but is not necessarily the big-ticket items, the hot-button issues, ooh, go get them. And I said, our church has probably grown more in the last six weeks in a lot of ways than we have seen over the big issues. Because, friends, the greatest growth that you have is the constant intake of God's word, reading it, hearing it, studying it, sharing it, all those things. And I pray as we spend some time just roughing out through the verses of a scripture that that is your prayer. We'll hit the bigger issues coming up. We'll have Nelson preach. I think Nelson's got some good topics coming up. I think in March, brother, if it works out, uh, we'll get Matt back online when he's awake. And uh, we'll make it. We'll, I'm just messing with you, brother. And we'll get it all ready to go. But first off, Jesus heals our diseases. I want you to remember, if you were here last week, Jesus went into the synagogue, and he was teaching and preaching, and he read, and the demons came, and all this stuff happened. And now Jesus has left the synagogue, and he goes back to what you might call their headquarters, their base of operations, their their sending off point. And it's Peter's house. And Peter has a very sick family member. And guys, wouldn't you know, it's the mother-in-law. And that's the hardest relationship you have, probably. And then it's the mother-in-law who gets sick. Go figure. And Peter's mother-in-law was sick with a fever. Peter was married. We don't have any other details in this. Uh, we don't know the nature of the illness. We don't know if he had kids. We just know that Peter is married. His mother-in-law is sick. And what is the famous word of Mark? Immediately. They inform Jesus of her illness. And just as quickly as he goes to her, he touches her and he heals her. But I want you to notice the progression here. It says, they tell him she's sick. Jesus goes to her, takes her by the hand. He lifts her up. He lets the fever out. He casts it out in in his power as God. And she serves them and the one who served her. Again, there's no spells. There's no incantations. There's no Walgreens or CVS or whatever else, Walmart pharmacy. It's just God doing what God does, and he heals, but with a personal touch and compassion. And so verse 34 adds a little to this. Uh, If you look down there, it says, uh, and he uh, healed many who were sick with various diseases. The text implies it's in the active sense. They kept bringing sick people to him, which just let me, let me put an aside to this. If, if those charlatans on TV who claim healing after healing after healing, why are they not down at Children's Mercy Hospital doing this pro bono? Why aren't they out sharing their gift of healing as they say they have it to the unbiblical way they present it? If that were the case, our Savior did. And if they want to be like our Savior, why don't the Benny Hens and those types who cast people out on big stages under the cameras and the lights, but when it comes to going behind the scenes, maybe they do. I stand corrected if they are. But friends, our Savior kept drawing people in and in and in. And that is the first thing I want you to see this morning that Amy's going to put up. If God wants us home, no, and home being heaven, no doctor can keep us. And if God wants us here, no disease can keep us home. Aren't you grateful for that? Friends, God may call you sometimes to be directly opposite of Peter's mother-in-law. God may give you a sustaining chronic illness for his glory that he uses in ways you may never thought possible. You know, we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and consummate your victory by vanquishing disease. 
you know, in Luke 17, a terrible disease was part of God's plan to bring about the providence in the, ter- in the, in the story of the Samaritan. God uses disease all the time. But that's the question. Is God able to heal today? Do we believe that? Yes, he's absolutely able to heal. Isaiah 53 and verse 5 says, With his stripes, with Christ's stripes, we are healed. And when you read the same account we just read in Mark in Matthew 8, verse 17, uh, Matthew quotes another verse. And he says, Surely he, that's Christ, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. The answer is yes, there is healing. That's why we have a prayer list, and I thought I brought it up here, but we have a prayer list that, you know, we start at 12-point font when I came 12 years ago, and it's now down to 9.5 aerial font, single space. And that's not a bad thing, friends. We're praying for each other. And Deb, you know this, because we look at it each week with our magnifying glass saying, Lord, update this list, please. But you know what? There is. For some, healing is immediate. For some, it is temporary, but all still die. You remember Lazarus in John chapter 11? He was dead. Uh, I love the King James. He stinketh is what he, they told Jesus when they came to heal him, to raise him back from the dead. Did, did Lazarus die even after he was brought back from the dead? You better believe he did. Yes. For all those who trust in Jesus, it is an eternal and permanent healing. And God does sometimes in his sovereign grace allow healing to be brought forth. What a great reminder from Revelation chapter 21 that he, that's God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's what we have to look forward to. But this side of heaven, we live in a sin-filled world, friends. We live in a world where people die way too young. We live in a world where people who are strong and healthy go from being a macho man to being on a hospital bed within a matter of minutes. We've all known stories like that. Maybe family has experienced that. So how does God use sickness? I want to take an aside to chase this question. Because I was reading through this. I can't help but think about this. How does God use sickness in your life? Let me offer at least five ways. First off, it reminds us of death. Most people, don't they, live as if they're never going to die. Uh, If you've ever run a marathon before, you know what that's like. If you've ever run a mile before, you probably feel this way. But they follow business or pleasure or politics as, or science as if earth were their eternal home. And they plan and they scheme for the future like the rich fool in the parable Jesus told, as if they have a long, lease on le- a long lease on life. But what a reminder that we are not tenants whose length of stay is long. God numbers our days. A heavy illness sometimes draws us far from the reality of life as it is. You know, I know uh, our first uh, time watching a Super Bowl together, Natalie and I, we were in the hospital in, in Blue Springs at St. Mary's with, uh, with Simeon. And that, even that new birth puts that game in perspective. And, you know, hey, go, I don't even know who played four years ago. Who cares? We had a baby. That's pretty cool. We had a baby. It puts things in perspective, but death does it even more. Friends, it awakens people from their daydreams and reminds them they have to die as well to live. Even sickness that leads to death can be a good, gracious thing in God's providence. Secondly, I think God uses death and serious illness to help us think seriously about God, our souls, and our eternity. Those are kind of connected, one and two. But most people, when they're healthy, do they give a lick about God? Not really. They don't care. If you're reading through Judges, you know this to be true. When when Israel was happy, well-fed, and and diapered good, they didn't care about God. But when God started sending all these tests all their way, they would cry out, and God would answer them. 
Now, a severe disease sometimes has a powerful mustering and rallying of our thoughts and bringing them before our souls. Do, do I know the Lord? Do, am I in good standing with the Lord? Do, have I repented of my sin? Uh, Elisha, if you remember the, the evil king, Ben-Hadad in 2 Kings 8.8, 8, uh, called out for Elisha even when he was dying because he knew that there was no hope for him. Even the heathen sailors in Jonah were afraid, and they cried out, every man to his God. Death and severe illness has a way to make us think and stop about what is in front of us. So God can use that in two ways. A third way God uses severe sickness is that it teaches us wisdom. Isn't that true? Many of you who who have gone through and are still dealing with many chronic things are probably wiser than this pastor will ever become. I've never had a long-standing illness. I've had a cold here and there, and even that cold seems like I'm going to die sometimes. But the reality is, is that long-term sickness is often how God uses to teach us more about his character. It can see no good sometimes when we are anything but looking towards this world, and there's no happiness in this world because we know we can't do what we used to do. I can't do this or do that. A long illness sometimes goes far to correct these ideas. The man of business may find that money alone, he can't work 16 hours a day like he used to, and it's not everything the heart requires. The woman who finds that costly apparel and keeping up with the Joneses and trying to do all those things are no more comforting in a sick room than the the pillows they give you in the hospital bed, and they're terrible, by the way. Surely anything that obliges us to alter our weights and measures of earthly things is a very good thing. God uses sickness also in a fourth way. And I think this is pretty obvious, and and, uh, you you can agree with me that it is, but it humbles us. Sickness has a way of humbling you. I can remember in the height of my strength, right after my first semester of seminary, almost 12 years ago, um, that I ran my first marathon. And some of you have heard this story before, but I grabbed the wrong pair of shoes. And uh, it was 6 in the morning. The marathon started at 7. I had to rush down to Crown Center. had never parked there before in my life. My mom said never to go there, so I didn't. And so here I am trying to figure this out, grabbed the wrong shoes and ran a marathon and lost two toenails and, you know, and couldn't walk for two weeks and all this stuff. And I thought, am I ever going to walk again? You know, praise the Lord, am I ever going to walk again? And I look around and, my, you know, my mom had arthritis in her 50s at that time and all this stuff. But, you know, you just, it really humbles you. Lord, thank you for the gift that I could even run 26 miles, even though I don't remember half of it because I blacked out and kept moving, lost a couple toenails in the run, but praise the Lord. And I can remember being so humbled by that. Lord, will I ever run again? Will I ever walk again? And then as soon as I shot back to my strength, it's like those thoughts just went right out the window. Long-term sickness has a way of humbling us in ways that we never thought because few of even the poorest are free from the infection of pride. Friends, a sickbed is a mighty tamer of such people. And God uses it to humble us. And I think finally, and all these connect at some various points, God uses sickness to test our faith, to test our faith. He who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. He is. And through your sickness, God is making you more like Christ, more than you could ever have thought. Well, that begs the question then, Pastor. Jesus came to this episode and he healed right away. Immediately it happened. Pastor, I've been praying and praying and praying, and it is just like a steel tray. It's like the Fort Knox of prayers, man. I shoot it up, boom, 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 and it just bounces back from the ceiling down, ceiling down, ceiling down. Christian, let me remind you what 2 Corinthians 12 says. If any of you know this verse, uh, 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 Dolores, you quoted this verse to me on the way in, if I'm not mistaken, when we were talking, just jabbering outside before, before service. So thank you for this. 
Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, as you'll see up on the screen, had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what this is. I'm looking at Aaron, our seminary guy here. He's probably heard this debate five million times over. Was it a, was he, was Paul going blind? Could he not read anymore? Was he, was he physically beat down? Yes, yes. Guys, we don't know what the physical thing was, but Paul had something in his midst that he cried out to the Lord three times for. God, take it away. God, take it away. God, take it away. He called it a thorn. Second Corinthians 11 and 12. And people have speculated, what, what was it? We don't know. But one thing we do know is what God said. And do you remember what God said in that passage? He said, my strength is what? Sufficient. You know it for you. Would heaven spurn Paul's request? Why was Paul's prayer not answered? Was it sin or disobedience? I mean, Paul was imperfect. Why would Paul not answer this answer you know, before the Lord? Why would that be? God gives another reason. Paul and others he ministered to would know God better through Paul's weakness. Paul received even better than he asked, and it wasn't the power of positive thinking. It wasn't blab it and grab it, name it and claim it. It was God's presence that came to be. So you could say Paul's prayer didn't work, but it it wasn't because of his sin. It was because that was God's sovereign will for him, the same sovereign will that also saved him out of the depths of sin. Look, many of you are praying for things, very serious things for healing. You have not because you ask not. But also, as we're going to look at here in just a second, there are some safeguards from us from Scripture. That's why I want to take this aside. Because many of you may look at that story of, uh, of Paul or of, of Peter's mother-in-law, and you say, Darren, why can't, G- why can't I go immediately to Jesus? God, or Darren, I have gone immediately to Jesus time and time and time again. Why does he not set me up like he did uh, you know, Peter's mother-in-law, and I'll serve him just like she did. Why does it not work that way? Why does this person not have someone with cancer in their family? Why does this person not have someone die way before their time? Why, why, why? Great questions. I'm not God, you're not God. But there are at least, if I can give you, and I told you, I'll take, this is the longest point. I want to give you at least six thoughts from Scripture, folks. Because as a church, we want to answer these questions together. These are things that affect you in the, in the recesses of the night when no one is around, when you're praying. Or if you're, if you're like me, and Judy and I talk about this all the time, when we get up, we're up. So when a baby wakes us up, we're like, wait for five more hours because we think it's time to get up. You know, some of you are like that. But you know, what is God up to in these times? Friends, first thing I want to share with you is that what is God up to? You may not be praying according to God's will. 1 John 5.14, this is online. Uh, We spoke about this as we ended out 1 John on September 11th of 2016, Sunday, September 11th. If we ask anything according to his will, John says, he hears us. So Darren, I don't know what the will of God is. Well, friend, there may be something you are praying for that God has said no to because that is not his plan for your life. I am grateful, and I've shared this before, I'm grateful that many of the names, many of the, the young ladies' names that I prayed for to be my future wife, with respect to them, God said no to, because God brought me someone even better. He brought me Natalie. I'm grateful that as we prayed for churches, uh, you know, time and time again, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to say the church names publicly, they don't need to know that, but I can tell you there were fits that even early on in our search were a full-time pastorate, that we said, man, this has got to be God's will. This is boom, ba boom, ba boom, ba boom, ba boom. And God, at the last minute, shut the door. And as someone who was working 70 hours a week, looking to, to just be a rifle focus and serve in the ministry and, and just do that sort of thing and the heartache that brings and the hardship that brings, that's hard. Lord, what happened? 
And time and time again, Darren, be patient. This is not the place for you. Be patient, be patient. What you are praying for may not be amiss necessarily, but it may not be where God would have you to pray. Second thing I want to encourage you with to remember as you pray, as you seek God's will, is that it could be that we've cherished sin that we will not let go from our lives. Psalm 66, verse 18. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Friend, there is a point at which that we need to right the relationship there is with Christ. Let me be absolutely clear. If you are in Jesus Christ, Christ can no more love you today than he loved you yesterday or in the future. You are justified. You positionally are standing righteous and justified in Christ's sight. Jesus doesn't love you more because you came to church today. Jesus doesn't love you less because you gave up on your Bible reading program five weeks ago. Uh, Whatever it is. Jesus doesn't love you less because you can't belt it out like the worship team up here. And I am grateful for that because most of us are in that book of not being able to sing well. Jesus loves us because the Father loved Christ and purchased our salvation. And for the glory and the sake of his Son, Christ loves us. Christ's love for you is not dependent on who you are. It's dependent on what he has done in his work and his person. But friends, there are times relationally that you need to confess your sin before the Lord. And, and there are times you need to bear your soul before the Lord. Lord, forgive me for the sins I have not known I've committed, but Father, I know I did this. Will you forgive me? And thankfully, as Matt read, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he separated our sins from us. What is God up to? It may be that it's not his will. It may be that you need to confess sin. Thirdly, it could be that we have a man-centered and not God-centered motive for praying. Look, I have told you, and I've joked with you about this before, I want muscles as big as as Arnold Schwarzenegger in the 1970s without the steroids, okay? I want muscles like that. And sometimes I can pray, God, give me muscles like Arnold. And he'll look at me and say, that is the most man-centered thing I've ever heard in my life. And it's true. We often pray prayers like that. God, if you would just give me this, I'll serve you more. God, if you just do this, I'll serve you more. James 4.3. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Friends, I'm not saying as you pray for an illness or someone that you're being selfish. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm asking is, have you prayed, Lord, let thy will be done. Lord, search my heart. Is there any sin in there? And Lord, search my heart to know my motive to pray for this thing. Next, fourthly, it may be that on the opposite side of that rail, that guardrail, we don't believe that God can actually do it. And I think most of our prayers actually probably land here. Mark eleven twenty four. Jesus speaking, all things for which you pray and ask and believe, that you have received them, and they shall be granted to you. You know, sometimes, even as a pastor, I look out over our neighborhood, the, the thousands of homes, and we're walking Wynwood Gardens. Does anyone live in Wynwood Gardens uh, area? I don't know if you know that area. Uh, just by Brighton over by uh, Topping uh, Elementary. And Lord, where have these homes been? But Lord, how do we get the gospel in all these homes? It's overwhelming. And you know, but we pray boldly, Lord, we pray that this neighborhood, Gracemore, Clay Como, Maple Park, Wynwood Gardens would come to know Christ. Ask big. Friends, ask big. You have not because you ask not. You, you know, sometimes we pray so small. Lord, if you could just relieve this pain just for now. Friends, you pray for that sickness to go away until God says, no, for my glory, I'm not going to take that away. You pray for that. You pray for that wayward son or daughter who professed faith one time and has now walked away. You 
pray for those things. You ask and you ask and you beat on that door until God says no. And that's our fifth thing. God may be calling you to persevere in your prayers. Luke 18, verse 1. At all times, Jesus said, you ought to pray and not lose heart. Friends, you knock on that door and you pound on that door and you pound it and you pound it and you pound it and you pound it and you you trust and say, Lord, I'm going to pound on this door with my prayers until you give me an answer. That's what the widow did in Luke 18, isn't it? She was a persistent widow. I think of our busy hands in this because they pray so faithfully. Ladies, you do for all the requests that come across on Tuesday mornings. Uh, not always specifically by name for sake of time and all those things. These ladies pray, as many of you do, so persistently. And we knock on the door, knock on the door, and knock on the door. And yes, friends, it may be, especially in relation to sickness, that God says, for my glory, I won't heal this person. For my glory and the advancement of my kingdom and for my power to be displayed, much is made in weakness more than in strength. That may be the case. But are we praying perseveringly Have you asked God, Lord, give me the strength to face whatever is in front of me? Many of you have given long, given up on family members you've been praying for for years that they would come to Christ. You keep praying until they breathe their last breath, amen? Because God can use it. Don't ever believe he cannot use it. Finally, and we'll go on to our second and last point, uh, the, uh, the big thing. What is God up to? It could be according to Daniel chapter 10, verses 2 through 12, that God could be doing more that should say more up there, not or, uh, doing more than you could ever know. In Daniel, it says, uh, it says, Daniel, at that time I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. In verse 12, he continued, the angel said, don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I've come in response to them. Many of you today may be feeling the weight of a lot of pressures from this world. And it seems like God is not answering your prayers. It seems like everyone else gets their prayers answered before you do, even though you were in line 20 years before that person was even born. Guys, God is still good. Trust his will. He will see you through. God is able to do more than you can ask or think. And if he chooses to answer immediately, praise the Lord. If he chooses to say no, praise the Lord. If he says wait, praise the Lord. If he says yes, praise the Lord. Because God's best is always our best. And that is the best thing that we can ever have. For our church, what does this mean? As a church, as we pray for various decisions we need to make organizationally, as we pray for various outreaches we do evangelistically, as we pray for many things spiritually speaking, we trust all these things to our sovereign God. Folks, our God is sovereign. He doesn't not hear your prayer. But you do trust that the answer is good enough. And be very careful if you're like me. And I, I can share story after story. I, you know, is my wife in here? I think she is. She ran off to the nursery. But, and that's fine. She's heard this before. But I can remember, if I can just a personal antecedent, I can remember uh, in college being a very manipulative young man because I liked a certain young girl. And I would show up at the lunch hour she was at. I took classes around. So, I, you know, just show off. A pre- I would try and run past the dorm room and, you know, show my big muscles and, all that sort of thing. And I just thought, if I could get the details right, and Lord, here she is, you know, you, I know she's the one, Lord, clearly this is, this is going to be the answer, and, and here it is. And, and all the, the conniving and manipulation, and do this, and do that, and do this, and do that. And God shut that door so hard in my face, because it was a slap across my face, it actually got a no to the answer. She is not going to be the one, because I was being a jerk. Amen. God answers. 
in very direct ways sometimes. She's still a good friend of mine. She might listen to this sometimes. She knows who she is. Friends, I had prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and I had, I had all figured out. God, I got this. God, I got this. You know, you know. But God said no. Be careful about conniving and trying to make details, all those things. Look, that doesn't mean you don't make decisions. You have to make decisions. But are you prayerfully trusting every decision you make, especially in relation to health, with the ones you love and with yours as well? Trust him, friends. He is able. All right. Take a deep breath. You ready? All right. That's the longest point you got. The second one will be shorter, I promise. Jesus heals our diseases. Secondly, Jesus heals our demons. And we'll end with this shorter I promise. Friends, I want you to look back at verses 32 and 34. 32 and 34. It says, That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he, Jesus, healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Friends, I want you to be aware that as soon as Peter's mother-in-law was healed immediately, everyone heard about it. If you grew up in a small town, you know how this works. When everyone knows your business before you even knew you had business, and that's how it goes. The, they brought, uh, verse 32, they brought to him all. Notice the word all. Verse 33, the whole city was gathered at him. And verse 34, he healed many. Notice it says he doesn't heal all. I want you to note that. That's specific by, by Mark here. He doesn't say he healed all. He healed many. That applies across the board to even us today. And all this detail screams of the eyewitness report, no doubt given to Mark by Peter himself, most likely. And verse 32 says those brought to him were those oppressed by demons. And verse 34 says he cast out many demons. Uh, I don't know if any of you downloaded that Satan or uh, uh, demon hunting app last week, if it's still out there. Um, this is not Jesus mapping out demons to find spiritual presence. Jesus just says, get out, and they get out. And many demons are face-to-face with God's Son, and they experience an immediate dismissal. But friends, I want to remind you this morning that even if you think you have airtight theology, that will not keep you from sin, you are closer to falling than you think. Even the demons have their theology straight. I want to remind you of that. These demons were knew who Christ was. They confessed him. They said, look, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. They knew who he was. And yet, 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 many of us today know who Christ is, and yet we still fall prey to sin. Why is that? Because, friends, we think that if we can be like the Pharisees and get all of our theological ducks in a row, then everything else will fall into place. That's crazy. Another pastor this week, this should not be surprised, another high-profile pastor fell into sin this last week in adultery. And uh, he went to his pulpit in Georgia. And I don't want to say his name publicly. You can look it up. It's all out there. He, uh, he, he had a relationship with a parishioner's wife. And he went back in the pulpit and said, God, you know what? God's forgiven me. That's all that matters. And I'm back here to preach because God's called me to preach. has a doctorate in theology from a seminary of a very reputable name. And yet he cannot see beyond his sin to the point at which he needs to step down. Friends, you need to be very, very careful that if you know all the theology, all the Bible, all the stories in the world, that you do not fall. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. The Holy Spirit will enable us to make great strides in holiness, even if we trip and stumble. And we need to pray, Lord, grant by your grace I stumble on... Uh, onto your strength. That is our prayer. 
Friends, the demons here knew who Christ was. And, and, we, look, and we know that. You say, Darren, where are you getting that from? If you go back to last week, it says in verse 24, he says, Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Friends, today, do you know more about the Bible than you know about walking with Jesus Christ? If you have, need help with that, come find us. We'll help you walk through that. Uh, Matt's not perfect. Gilbert's not perfect. He's close, but Gilbert's not perfect. But we will help you walk through this because we want to do this together. Jesus heals our demons, but we also have to remember we are in a spiritual battle. The battle is not the government. The battle is not nations. The battle are things that we cannot see. And friends, they will tell you, oh, you've got all the facts right. Now you can go live however you want. Not at all not what is being said here. So why did Jesus not permit the demons to speak? That's a great question. I mean, if Jesus knew who he was, why didn't he just blast it out there? I am the Christ, the Son of God. Have you ever thought about that before? Why didn't Jesus just come up and say, look, yeah, I'm the Christ. Here I am. Uh, There's several reasons. Uh, It's probably to, uh, there's several reasons I'll give you just briefly to whet your appetite. But it's probably to avoid any unnecessary and unhelpful publicity. Uh, to have more moments of private teaching with his disciples. It's probably uh, that he didn't want to be mistaken as a political messiah. He wanted to be known and as he was as the savior. Uh, it's probably to express his humility is why he did not share it. But friends, make no doubt about it. Jesus healed them from their demons. Friends, many of you need to remember that the greatest solution to your problem is not the greatest shrink in the world. The greatest solution to your problem is going before a holy God and trusting that as he leads you through his word, that is where it's at. It's not to say not to use medicine. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that Christ alone heals. Sometimes we get in a rush and we forget that Christ uses the doctors and the nurses as instruments in his hand, but he is the great physician. He is the great physician. And here we see as he cast them out, he, people were oppressed by demons. They were literally, uh, some of them, possessed by demons. Friends, let's just say a reminder, if you're a Christian here today, you cannot be possessed by a demon, but you can be oppressed. You can be uh, taunted, if you will. But at the door, Jesus is the Lord of all lords. Is he king of your life today? Let me end with this illustration. I'm going to skip some of the notes for sake of time. But, you know, we were talking about kids earlier, and this is kind of the scene that you see at our house as one puts one's hand in his or her face. I don't know if you feel this way sometimes if you have kids. But when David Moore's boys were much younger, they were quarreling over a special toy train. We have this at our, we have like every Thomas in our house. Richard, uh, Richard and Carol bless us with some of their grandson's Thomases, which are a fight every night, but they love them, so thank you. But uh, thinking about his eldest son, one of his sons, the five-year-old, came up and said, well, Dad... Uh, if you want us to be more like Jesus, why doesn't Jesus just create us another special train? I mean, if God doesn't want us to fight, why doesn't he just make us another special train? And uh, the younger, or, or the dad just looked at him and said, I will pray for you, son. And the son said, well, are you going to pray for another special train? He's going to say, no, I'm going to pray you go to bed right now. And uh, uh, that's a silly story. But friends, sometimes we get to a place where we are so hit by our health sickness. We are so hit by the flaming arrows of the enemy that we want God to create a whole new scenario, a world or a situation. We feel so badly. Let me remind you today, if there's anything you take away, is that the good news is that God does care for us. The good news is, is that he, in this fallen, sick, sick, 
and sin-infested world, that he knows our heart, he knows our suffering, he knows the constant reminder of this, but he wants us to know that he has done something to remedy our near hopeless condition by sending Jesus Christ. Christ is our Savior. Christ is our Lord. The gospel is the greatest motivation that we have to do everything that we are. If you're not a Christian here today, let me remind you that your greatest need is not to be healed from whatever is ailing you. Your greatest need is to be healed once and for all by faith alone, in Christ alone, by his grace alone. That is the gospel. If you're here today, there's no amount of sincerity or good works that you can do to get to heaven. There's no amount of religiosity that you can do. There's not even a good amount of money that you can pay the pastor to get you in to heaven. And thank the Lord for that. Salvation cannot be bought. It's already been bought by one who sacrificed himself for us. And when he did that, when Christ died, he took the wrath that you and I deserve. And when that happened, anything we face in this life and the life to come is covered by his sovereign authority. We rest in that. I have no idea if the Patriots are going to beat the Falcons tonight. I could really care less, to be quite honest. I have no idea if the Falcons are going to score a point or if Tom Brady's going to win his, what, fifth Super Bowl or whatever it is. I don't care, to be quite honest. And I'm a sports fan, and I love sports. But one thing I don't care about is that. One thing I do know is this. God knows who's going to win it, and he's already got it all figured out. And all i got to do is show up after the game and turn on the app, and it'll tell me exactly what it is. You know what? It's okay if you watch the game. I'm not against that. But I would ask you, where is your trust? Is your trust in a world that five weeks from now probably won't even remember what the Super Bowl was? Or is your trust in the one who has sovereignly, by his grace, orchestrated every detail, atom, molecule, and everything that is to be exactly how he wants it to be? What great comfort that is to us today. Like the diseased and demonized, we should run to Christ alone and remember that we are touched by his compassionate hand. Friends, this was a normal life in the day of Jesus Christ. What a world that is. Friends, you have the sovereign God on your hands. Trust him, pray to him, he will hear your prayer. Let's go before him today. Father, as we close out today, and Father, I I just pray because each of us is going to go through a time in coming days if we're not already there where we will look at things in our life and wonder where your hand is working and why it's not working the way we would want it to. Or, Father, but we, I pray as we look and trust that you are the God who can cast out the demons. You are the God that can immediately, if you please, heal all sicknesses and, and all things. But Father, as we trudge through, as the pilgrim did in Pilgrim's Progress that Bunyan wrote about, as we trudge through the sludge of despair and all the things that come through, Father, may we remember that you are with us. May we remember that you are good even through the hard times. Father, that's not a cliche. Father, it's not some Hallmark card thing we can plaster on our wall. But Father, that's biblical truth that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that your presence goes with us, that, uh, Father, you have all authority under heaven and earth, that uh, nothing moves without your permission. Father, our our church has, as you know, Lord, been hit hard just on all levels with health and and just life things in the last six weeks. But Lord, you are still sovereign. You are still on your throne. Father, we plead for those who we are praying for on our list and we trust you with them. Father, we pray that if you be pleased, folks would be healed. We pray that if you be pleased, that the gospel would be advanced, that people would know more of Christ through much suffering. And even in the praises, Lord, that we've heard in the last several weeks, how you have moved in in, in medical ways to, to your honor and glory. Father, you are good. Father, we don't have all the answers. You have all the answers. We don't have all the strength of faith. Father, help us to be like the man who said, Lord, help me in my unbelief. 
But Lord, we know at our heart of hearts that you are the only one who can hear our prayers and take them and use them for your glory. Do that this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. I invite you to stand with us as we close. Get ready to partake the Lord's Supper, rather. I'm a week behind. Uh, and we'll sing one song. And as we sing our last, second to last song before the Lord's Supper, I'd ask you just to prepare your heart. We'll enter the Lord's Supper time and uh, do that together. And as we sing, I just want you to ask the Lord, Lord, is there any sin in my heart? Is there anything that I need to confess to you? Father, is my heart clean before you? And equally, is my heart clean before my brothers and sisters in forgiveness and extending forgiveness? Let's sing.